up 27 to 24, and the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor, WCBN.org. Grabs on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath, Ann Arbor, as the bar gets set. Places down, kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington, and the Wolverines are victorious! I always like to quote Tom Goldtooth. He's a Navajo man who says that, you know, change will come when the white men in this society realize that chemicals in the environment are causing their testicles to shrink. You know, the money's going to yes. flow like water to the environmental <laughs> movement. You know, and that's true. Are you looking for solutions? I'm Sharmi Golson, and I've got them. Thursdays at 6 p.m. on Renegade Solutions, right here on 88.3 FM, Radio Free Ann Arbor, WCBN. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. Daylight savings time has arrived. Boy, it seems like it's really early this year for some reason. I don't remember it starting this early, but as it turned out here in Ann Arbor, it's melting savings time. That's okay. A lot of people out running today because it's so lovely out, but uh, I'd noticed like three out of four runners like, whoa, slipping, and it's probably a little treacherous for the old jog. Yeah, be careful because that ice will reform later tonight, I'm sure. There's a lot of uh, little streams, even on sidewalks that appear to be uh, relatively clear. And uh, it's amazing to hear that we may get some snow in a couple of days. Amazing. This will always be remembered as the winter that will not quit. Well, uh, and of course, uh, negotiating, America. navigating, right, right. Remember, it's been very warm in other parts of the world this year, so uh, don't be fooled by uh, this uh, polar vortex is the new uh, term, I guess. Well, yeah, I think climate shift is still the term that needs to be yeah. know, utilized here. Uh, it's not accurate to simply say global warming but the vortex and its low plunges uh into the south is of course part of the shifting climate uh but here in michigan of course it's also meant uh, devastation for our roads always made of the cheapest supplies available uh under the uh tenacious chewing that the uh, winter has given them uh, every day brings new discoveries yeah. of <laughs> disaster and uh caution so uh a reminder to go slowly when you see cars sort of zigging and zagging you know that you've got potholes coming up ahead and i came across this passage of rereading nikolai gogol's 
uh, Gogol's, uh, to pronounce it correctly, Dead Souls, and uh, talking about a carriage being driven on a rough Russian road. Uh, <laughs> Gogol writes this, The Russian driver has a good intuition in place of eyes, and that is why he often rushes along with his eyes shut, but always gets somewhere. Great description uh, and probably a pretty accurate depiction of uh, what it's like to go driving today down Packard or Huron or indeed anywhere here in Ann Arbor. Yeah, or maybe the tanks. <laughs> we'll be traveling uh, down those muddy roads of the Ukraine before you know it. Obviously, yeah. the Ukraine has been well, in the I, news quite a bit, yeah. but uh, let's... Uh, Talked about that last week extensively, so we step can back. give it a rest. Step back a bit, and let's not panic so much about what's going to happen. I think that uh, I, I'm un unaware of anybody that's actually died in the uh, Crimea uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, compared to, say, the protesters that were killed in Kiev just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there seems to be a lot of hysteria here in the United States. So, yeah, we'll give out the usual brain damage awards for all of the hawkishness here in the United States and the total hypocrisy. Uh, Putin is not Boris Yeltsin, and that's quite clear. And uh, he may have some sort of interesting long-term foreign policy agenda regarding this whole situation. But I think that the United States deserves some of the share of the blame here in the sense that they, you know, did move NATO up to the borders, so to speak, and uh, this has created s some of the uh, nationalistic tension that's uh, and that's yeah just there. And that's what led to the rise of uh, Abu Nijad in Iran was that sort of siege mentality that you know we've got bases, military bases all around Iran. So of course that's going to make them nervous, and they elect somebody like that. So yeah, this is. Uh, a consequence, in part at least, of U.S. foreign policy, especially with regards to NATO, which when the North Atlantic Treaty Organization starts reaching into Afghanistan, Afghanistan <laughs> in the center of, you know, Asia, that's not really the North Atlantic anymore. Well, yeah, and one wonders when, <clears throat> when they're going to start uh, claiming dominion over the uh, South China Seas or, or whatever. Uh, so, it, yeah, it, I, I, hopefully this can just be sort of negotiated uh, down and the tensions will ease. Uh, obviously, it's interesting how the um, so, uh, Russia has, has sort of fought back a little bit on these uh, sanctions. You know, there's all this criticism on Capitol Hill about, oh, hell, uh, the Russians don't respect Obama anymore. <laughs> He's weak. And all of this talk is uh, pretty useless at the end of the day. There's not much we can do. One of the uninvestigated aspects, by the way, of the uh, entire first Persian Gulf War was the fact that Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, um, and this was an article I read uh, in one of the left-wing journals that doesn't exist anymore, South Magazine, they noted that at the time, uh, Kuwait and Saudi Arabia had about $300 billion of capital invested in the United States and Great Britain. <laughs> and that the real reason that the uh, United States went in to eject uh, Saddam Hussein from Kuwait, besides the obvious violations of international law, was that uh, the Saudi uh, royal family and the Kuwaiti royal family threatened to pull their money 
out of these Western economies that, uh, of course, had become dependent on deficit spending, the infamous bond market that works in very mysterious ways. Well, it's fascinating to discover how much money uh, Russia has invested in London, for instance. Hmm. How much here in the United States? Uh, I think I heard a statistic that trade between the United States and Russia is only 1% of our total trade perspective. But these economic relations with Russia and Western Europe and London <laughs> uh, is, uh, me it means that the uh, British are a little more cautious than one might normally expect. It's interesting to note, by the way, just a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, a, an ambassador here, uh, uh, Victoria Newland, uh, used the expression regarding the situation in Ukraine, in which uh, she seemed to be uh, kind of a hawkish kind of person. She used the phrase F the EU mm -hmm. yeah. in response. So we'll give her a brain damage award. That probably didn't help the situation, as it turned out. And uh, wanted to point out, we can drop this Ukraine subject, but uh, this was a particularly good edition of the New York Review of Books. Uh, I highlighted an article a couple of weeks ago by Gary Wells regarding the uh, political situation here in the United States uh, within the Republican Party. But this particular edition has a very interesting article by Tim Judah, Fighting for the Soul of Ukraine. Uh, he, of course, did a lot of uh, reporting uh, on the Balkans situation back in the 90s. He works at The Economist. But he's a very good uh, analysis, I think, of the... And this, this article was written uh, well before the uh, um, recent protests. This article was actually written in December of last year. It's in the January 9th edition of the New York Review of Books. But there's a very, there are some other good things in here about the spying on the NSA, why has nobody been prosecuted uh, from the financial crisis. Uh, there's an article about Donald Rumsfeld and his memoirs. Rummy, you big dummy. And uh, a fascinating exchange of letters that uh, are now in a huge Trevor Roper uh, selected letters report uh, exchanged with Kim Philby, <laughs> Whoa. the famous British spy. They were friends uh, and uh, corresponded after Philby uh, fled to the Soviet Union back in 1963, but a really particularly good addition, which I think gives a lot of the historical context of what's really going on there and explaining how Putin is really operating uh, in this particular crisis. It's, it's, it's a more European perspective on the reality of what's actually going on there in these upcoming elections that are going to happen in a year. And uh, this referendum that's happening next week and what might come of that. So I highly recommend this article, Fighting for the Soul of Ukraine by Tim Judah, in the January 9th edition of the New York Review of Books. One of those long articles that gives you the big picture. And, of course, this was before Yanukovych uh, fled, resigned, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, obviously, the crisis is quite different. This was back in the, the months where there were simply just protests out in the uh, streets of Kiev. 
Well, I mean, it's important to remember that you do have to, short of going to a place, uh, it's really more uh, accurate to rely on the print media to go into those details that uh, complicate an eight-minute super-fast news feed on the uh, Buzzy Buzz cable news channels. Yeah, and with the 100th anniversary of the start of World War One coming up, it's interesting that the Ukraine, of course, at various times was part of the... These, these territories were part of the Austria-Hungarian Empire mm -hmm. and the Russian Empire. It's been pointed out that eastern Ukraine, which is uh, what's sort of now in dispute, uh, was part of Russia for 300 years. So these very, very thorny issues of nationalism and ethnicity and these kinds of things are, are tough because these borders, particularly the Austria-Hungarian Empire, <laughs> as it... Uh, resembled Swiss cheese at times, um, and of course uh, was toppled as a result of uh, World War One. Uh, hence, the Balkans and that situation. Right. I mean, the way Yugoslavia sort of uh, not only just unraveled, but almost began to like feast upon itself with yeah. just uh, incredibly strong and seemingly ancient uh, subnational ethnic conflict that you know defied reason. Um, these are ugly beasts that uh, don't really follow any logical course, but sometimes spill over into current events. And of course, these borders in Western Ukraine, you know, Poland, Poland had parts of the Ukraine at various times. Uh, it's uh, interesting how this territory has uh, changed hands uh, so many times over the past four or five centuries. So uh, the, the borders and nationalism are still uh, ongoing problems throughout the world. And obviously the Middle East is a glaring example of the difficulties in uh, imperialists drawing borders. Well, yeah, it's important to remember that that too is part of the ugly legacy of World War I. Yeah. The uh, borders of the uh, modern Middle East were spelled out and sketched up uh, between England and France, essentially, uh, at the close of World War I, uh, with such poor results that they could hardly have done worse. And the British got the petroleum, whereas the French got Aleppo. Right. <laughs> it might have been one of the Marx brothers. I'm still trying to figure out. No, Aleppo and Damascus, two of the oldest cities in uh, human civilization. Indeed. Uh, fascinating uh, little item, by the way, in the uh, most recent edition of Jim Hightower's Lowdown Report on Edward Snowden. Snowden, of course, made an appearance today, not a cameo appearance, but an actual live feed appearance from Russia, <laughs> where I'm sure he's uh, enjoying the borscht, um, at the South by Southwest uh music festival which i guess the first week is sort of a technology uh, yeah extravaganza um but uh he uh, basically defended his release of the documents by noting that uh, he had quote taken an oath to uphold the constitution and that he felt by leaking the documents he had done so um hightower goes into a kind of interesting history of the nsa and just a couple of notes uh, from the article. The facility, Fort Meade, in Maryland, is nearly ten times the size of the Pentagon. The Pentagon, uh, we've been told, was the largest building in the world. 
for most of our life during the Cold War. Uh, Fort Meade employs 33,000 people, and it has massive outposts in Colorado, Georgia, Hawaii, Texas, and Utah. Time Magazine, and I'll just end with this little tidbit, reports that the absorption of our private information is so vast that the agency's new classified data processing center in the Utah desert will require up to 1.7 million gallons of water a day just to keep its computer servers cool. (laughs) And that's why uh, everybody needs to read Thomas Pynchon's Bleeding Edge. Ah. uh, Because... (laughs) There is a, a sort this is of the nine eleven yeah inspired. Uh, it's sort yeah. of a dot com bust and nine eleven uh, worlds colliding here in some very interesting ways, uh, but the sort of a villain of the book Gabriel Ice, uh, a techie wonder boy, uh, is seeking out ways in which he can uh, place the servers for his massive computer empire uh, somewhere at the North Pole to save costs on uh, cooling. Uh, because, of course, that's one of the great concerns with computers is the overheating thing. And the size of this building uh, shows the magnitude of the project that the NSA has undertaken. And you look historically at where power is centralized. Uh, back in the medieval times, the, the power was centralized in Europe in the church. Uh, whether in Avignon or in Rome, those were the largest buildings. Well, the Pentagon was the largest building for quite some time and now the nsa is the largest building that's where the power is and i suspect that as our lives become more dominated by the digital realm and computers that the nsa is only going to grow in size and scope because what was once called security national security meaning just monitoring things now that everything is monitorable that means that everything must be monitored from their perspective. I'm not saying I agree with that. I just see that this is a sort of a mission creep, if you will, of the NSA. Yeah. To surveil everything. To surveil everything, and that's what's uh, most troubling. It's interesting that the NSA uh, collects 5 billion mobile phone records each day. Uh, This in Jim Hightower's Lowdown Report, the February-March edition. Hightower, the former agricultural commissioner from the state of Texas. (laughs) And, you know, it's... it's, Back when they actually had some New Deal liberals, by the way, back in the 70s, there were New Deal liberals in the Texas congressional delegation. If it had been possible to do that kind of monitoring with hardline phones back in the 70s, I'm sure that J. Edgar Hoover would have happily done so. It's just now very easily possible to do that degree of surveillance and so they do and of course one of the other more bizarre revelations and i'm not sure that this comes directly from snowden but certainly it was reported in, on december 10th in the new york times is the fact that the uh, spy agencies have infiltrated video games so that some of those uh, fantasy characters in your video online games maybe spies again this is the thomas pynchon book i'm telling you how this guy stays so keyed in to for somebody who's of you know the world war ii generation uh, you know the the, the 60s i uh, came of age in the 60s um to to be this uh boy bleeding edge has that going on as well yeah it's great the headline says spies infiltrate a fantasy realm of online games and it says an elf may be an agent 
<laughs> you don't really know who's who. Agencies scoop up data to combat terrorism, documents show. Is that an avatar or an actual agent? <laughs> Mark Mazzetti and Justin Elliott uh, reported this, and it goes into the details. Uh, I am unfamiliar with this world, by the way, of uh, fantasy games on the Internet. Uh, but it says Second Life and the World of Warcraft are... Uh, well-suited to help American intelligence agencies better navigate these virtual realms. Of course, when I saw the, uh, the sub-headline that an elf may be an agent, I couldn't help but remember the famous story by David Sedaris about oh, how, he, elf, yeah. how he was a Christmas elf yeah. one year at Macy's. Yeah, that is one of the greatest that's humorous probably things. probably his, his funniest thing ever, yeah. That is absolutely... Hilarious. If you ever get a chance uh, to look that one up, you no, can probably well, Google it or whatever. Pynchon makes a new <laughs> distinction between the, the digital realm, which is virtual realm. Mm -hmm. That is, you see images, you click icons, and the extent to which people spend more and more time in that realm uh, as you know, for functional purposes, much of our work is online. Uh, but then for entertainment, we're also increasingly online. And then for those who play games, there's a sort of a, an identity screen that you play the game as an elf or as an ogre or what have you. Um, that uh, Pynchon has one of the characters draw a realm between the digital world and the meat world, M-E-A-T, where you know flesh is on bone. And so that's where I like to live. <laughs> is in the meat world out here where things are about as real as you could ever hope uh, for them to be. And that means they're pretty surreal sometimes, but at least it's the tangible world. Yes. And those trolls are trolling for data <laughs> anywhere right. and everywhere it can be found. Incredible stuff. Uh, I don't know what to make of the CPAC. Uh, is it CPAC time again? Oh, yeah, it already? was CPAC oh, time I'm... all weekend. Uh, Rand Paul finished first in the uh, straw poll. That's the Conservative Political Action Committee, for those who aren't familiar with this annual fun fest. And Ted Cruz, the uh, used uh, head cheese salesman <laughs> from Texas, finished second. Now, I don't know, you know, this is bizarre because, you know, Ron Paul ran for president <laughs> several times. Yeah, uh, Rand doesn't differ too much from Ron. But I was mentioning those uh, states in which the NSA has offices, and I haven't heard too many uh, complaints from Mike Lee or any is, of the Is Texas. Rand Paul named after Ann Rand? I think that his real name is Randall, okay. but he's shortened it. Sure. And yes, he was a big fan of Ayn Rand. Um, well, you know, that's what people always say on the uh, conservative uh, and the political right, but... Uh, I think they're lying because her books are essentially unreadable. <laughs> I've uh, attempted several of them, and uh, as somebody who used to teach literature and who has studied it and loves it a great deal, my God, she's a terrible prose stylist. I Well, she was Russian. <laughs> that well, might explain it. Joseph Conrad was Polish, and he did okay. <laughs> Syntax probably wasn't her strength. I, I uh, She's an ideological hack, I think, rather than uh, an actual literary figure yeah i'm not too sure what is so great about atlas shrugged but apparently it appeals to some people i am rather fond though of the movie the fountainhead i i think that is a really well yeah king, interesting movie that's the king vidor film yeah. right uh with gary cooper and uh patricia, patricia o'neill yeah. yeah it's a strong film 
interestingly, was later married to Raoul Dahl. Raoul Dahl. Yeah, Raoul Dahl, Dahl, the uh, Welsh writer. (laughs) Strange marriage there. Um, So, you know, I don't know what CPAC really accomplished over the weekend. I guess Jim DeMint made an appearance as well. Uh, He's now head of the Heritage Foundation and is now extolling the fact that the Heritage Foundation is not connected to the Republican Party, uh, that he's fighting for America and all that. Well, that could be a sign that uh, certain mouthpieces of the right are cutting some, beginning to cut some ties to the party that's disintegrating. I guess Ann Coulter has spoken out against the GOP recently, too, and I don't know if that was at CPAC, but, I mean, she's kind of an idiot anyway. But uh, these spokesmen, these mouthpieces, uh, just sort of putting their hands up and saying, well, let's see where the Republican Party is, really. Yeah, and it's fascinating that, Christie, uh, the beleaguered governor of <laughs> New Jersey, as the uh, I'm sure his blood pressure is spiked. Traffic s- snarl has uh, tangled up his. He, he's tangled up in blue, uh, to say the least, at this point. But a, I, I guess a poll of the CPAC uh, group said that a third of them would never vote for Christie for president. So he. Uh, Seems to be doomed as a uh, GOP candidate at this point. He was point. never going to be conservative enough for today's Republican Party. Yeah. And I think would be unelectable to those outside of the eastern coast for other reasons. But, but he, he warned the CPAC people, we have to, quote, win, and I'm paraphrasing here, to wield power. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, well, you guys have actually been kind of running things for quite some time here in the United States. Uh I, I, what have you to show for it? I'm beginning to be troubled by this 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 idea that somehow Ronald Reagan and or George W. Bush were not conservative enough. <laughs> right. You know, it's it's uh, it's really uh, becoming a great revisionist theory that the CPAC people are promoting, um, because the facts speak for themselves. Uh, the growth of big government, by the way, this massive sprawl of the NSA, so much of that occurred under George W. Bush and the GOP-controlled right. Congress at the time. And Jim DeMint, uh, who I heard a little bit today on uh, the Diane Rehm show, uh, as I recall, voted for both the Iraq mm-hmm. and Afghanistan wars. Uh, so I'm not too sure what his credibility, and certainly the Patriot Act. Uh, there was hardly a vote of dissension in the United States Congress on any of right. that stuff. So uh, they've been running the uh, the car into the into the ditch, into the snowbanks, and over the potholes, and that's why we have this massive debt that they're suddenly so concerned about. It's remarkable stuff. I noticed, uh, for instance, there, there's been a lot of discussion about the war on poverty. You know, this is the 50th anniversary of that. Mm. Uh, so-called slogan reagan famously said uh, the war on poverty happened and poverty won oh so let's have a war on drugs yes <laughs> and let's give more power to the pentagon and the nsa and the cia and whatnot uh it's interesting that in a recent um harper's index the portion of u.s births from unintended pregnancies that are paid for by medicaid two-thirds 
So uh, while the Republicans are running around the country trying to restrict abortions one way or another, sonograms, closing down clinics, requiring visiting hours, every bureaucratic regulation that they can come up with, that Medicaid bill is uh, going up thanks to the Hyde Amendment and their abortion policies. <laughs> they never seem to know. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. And, uh, well, with Ted Cruz <laughs> in cruise control, I'm starting to wonder. I'd like to thank Andrew uh, for engineering once again this evening here on Gray Matters here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. As you said, he calling will be coming up shortly. And I'll just mention quickly that the Ann Arbor Film Festival will be happening uh, right here at the Mich well downtown Ann Arbor uh, week after next. So it'll be from the 25th through the 30th. We'll probably talk about that the Monday before as the big opening uh, gala night on Tuesday. Uh, but uh, also on a film note, I uh, want to encourage people to try and catch some of the uh, Alfred Hitchcock films that are being shown at the Michigan Theater uh, Sundays and Tuesdays uh, all the way through May. Uh, I had the great pleasure of watching Saboteur. Uh, yesterday afternoon and this Tuesday night, uh, the classic uh, Joseph Cotton uh, Hitchcock thriller, A Shadow of a Doubt, will be screened. Uh, so these are excellent films, some of the best films ever made by one of the great artists of the medium. And to see them on the big screen is really something special. Yes, indeed. Well, we're out of time, so you take it away, Yazoo City Con. Hi, this is Greg from Deerhoof. And you're listening to WCBN FM and our. Man, I wanted to tell you. Thank you. Uh, I saw Ginger Baker at the yeah. East. Yeah. In 1969, then we went next door to Ratner's Dairy Restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And he had hair and there's blood all over, but I've never seen energy since then. I wanted to tell you, when I'm watching you, I said, that's Ginger Baker with a healthy man with a healthy <laughs> right. drink. So I wanted exactly. to tell you yeah. that, brother. Just water. Yeah. So, man, I mean, I mean. I'm trying to compliment you because you guys. I said, hey, what a for the mess for soul, I ain't got too many magic, but I got so far to go. Don't go time, wanna be my teddy I'm gonna leave my name out of it. 
Jealous, jealous, oh. 